Let's pray together. God, we thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that we can be in your house this morning, singing your praises. Father, we really do sing those from our hearts this morning. And Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us in your word. It's so full of life. I pray that you speak to us now. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, Father, and that you impress upon us the message you want us to hear. And as we leave this place, Father, we can apply it to our lives. People will see that and know that about us and who we are and what we believe. We thank you for the foundation of the scripture. We thank you that we can have you as our God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, as one we believe in. So thank you for that. Be with us in our time ahead, and I ask this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, Christ Church. As you see, we are in this uh, series called The Inner Workings of Worship, and we're looking at the Apostles' Creed. You know, one of the things that's really exciting around here at Christ Church is there's a lot of things going on. And I'm going to say this a couple times, but a lot of things going on. But in order to know where we want to go, we need to know what we believe and who we are. Who we are and what we believe. We've got to know that. You know, as Robbie mentioned, there's a uh, great meeting that uh, we're going to have in a few weeks about family guidance. Looking at uh, purchasing that property. Our property here at Christ Church is fantastic. It's really amazing. If you haven't had a chance, 50 acres here that we own right here uh, <laughs> Mount Nebo. It's really amazing. And what we can do with that, where we could go, what we could develop, the ministries that we can have are really phenomenal. The fact that we can have a lot of ministries going on here where we're having camp next week. We have a commissioning for our urban impact. Right now we have a group in Dominican Republic uh, ministering there. I'll be joining them here uh, later today. There's just so many things going on here at Christ Church. It's really phenomenal. But one of the things that we do, we'll say here too, is you know we're going to always have ministries going on. We're always going to have different missions going on. But what we do on Sunday mornings will pretty much be the same. Now, we might do different songs. We might do a, a different uh, style of worship. We may uh, do different things in a different order. But the things that we do on Sunday mornings will remain the same. And that's what we're going to be looking at. All those things really encompass worship. We're always going to have a time of praise and worship. We're always going to have times of prayer. We're going to have times of giving. We'll have times of uh, uh, fellowship where we greet one another. We'll have times of communion regularly. Baptism we'll have. And then we'll have times where we say the creeds. And so in order to, uh, to know that, to say, hey, this is where we are. This is what we believe as a church. So we can really say, hey, this is where we're going as a church. But we're always going to have those elements. And so that's what we're going to look at. That's all the inner workings of worship. And so you're going to see this over the next uh, few months. All the different uh, inner workings of worship. Why we do what we do. Why we pray the way we pray. Why we sing the way we sing. Why we say what we say. We believe what we believe in the creeds. Now, I don't know about you. Um, for some of you, the creeds are, are very familiar. The Apostles' Creed, as we see it, is very familiar. You grew up maybe going to church where you said the creeds. For some of you, you did not grow up uh, going to church that said the creeds. Okay? Uh, I know that, uh, and so it's not familiar to you. I know that when I walked into Christ Church Grove Farm in 1998, I walked through those doors, and I remember sitting in the back, and uh, thinking, man, this is great. The worship here is really uplifting. People are raising their hands. What a great place to be. The Spirit seems to be really moving here at Christ Church. I was really excited to be here. And then they said the creeds. And I went from excitement to going, what on earth are they doing? It's now some kind of club that I just walked into where everybody knows this motto and everybody's saying it and I'm the only one that doesn't know it. And I felt really left out like, I don't, I don't get it. Because I never grew up in a church that had the creeds. And so I felt like, almost like an outsider, maybe some of you feel that too, it's like, what are the creeds? And that's why we're going to look at the creeds. 
We're going to understand why we believe what we believe. You know, when I first came in, not being very familiar with the creeds, I had thought originally that the creeds were a Christ church thing. I thought, okay, the leadership of the church, pastors, they got together and they put this little credo thing together that you come in and you like say this, like the Boy Scouts, like you say this pledge. It's kind of what I thought. After doing some more research, I realized, no, it's not a Christ church thing because they kept talking about the tradition of the creed. So I thought, maybe it's an Anglican thing because they worship in an Anglican uh, style of worship. So I thought, maybe it's an Anglican tradition that they say the creeds. Maybe that's where, what it was. And I realized, no, it dates back before even that time. Then I thought, well, maybe, maybe it's a, a Protestant versus Catholic thing. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's when it was developed. Now I'm finding out, after many, many years of research uh, and studies on, obviously, the creeds date back even before that. A thousand years before that. In fact, the creeds were really developed in the beginning of the, the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth century. They go back thousands of years. It's not a Christ church thing. It's not, an, it's not an Anglican thing. It's not a Catholic versus Protestant thing. In fact, that's why uh, you'll see the Apostles' Creed. Uh, at some points they say the, uh, we believe in the universal church. Some say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Because the, the word Catholic had a different meaning at that time. It meant universal. It didn't mean what it means now. And so, so it, it dates back all before all that. It's not a Christ church thing, not an Anglican thing, it's not a Protestant versus Catholic thing. It's really an Orthodox thing. It's what we believe. And in order to, for you to understand what we believe, I want you to be able to say with full confidence and assurance what we believe. That you'd be able to walk out of here in the next few weeks and go, you know what, I understand the creed. I say it with full confidence and full assurance, not just something that we're repeating. You've got to understand the creeds are set up for different reasons, Okay. A uh, couple of reasons. First, baptismal. People are going to get baptized and then said in Romans that you need to make a confession of what you believe. And so they use the creeds. They, they took out of the scriptures the foundations of beliefs about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit. And that became, uh, that became what people said as they got baptized. Then it was instructional. They started really teaching it to young people. They said, listen, you know, obviously the scripture is full of stuff. We want to make sure that people understand the scriptures, the foundations of what we believe. So it became instructional. It became catechism for some. I don't know if anybody's been through catechism. I know when I was uh, in school, I went to a Christian school my whole life. And uh, I remember in second grade, we had catechism. And where the, uh, the teacher would ask something, you would respond. So who is greater, uh, God or Satan? God is greater than Satan. Who was God's son? Jesus was God's son. You just kept going through this whole thing. And it kind of kept building and building and building. I remember being in second grade by the end of the year. It was like, okay, it's time for catechism. It was like two hours long by the time we get through the whole thing. But it was instructional, understanding it. Understanding what we believe. Then it was doctrinal, too. You know, there's a lot of heresies going on uh, at that time. There's a lot of heresies going on now. People don't believe in God. People believe in all sorts of different uh, ways to get to heaven. Gnosticism, deism, all kinds of stuff. And so they became doctrinal and say, listen, there's a lot of different teachings on, on who God is or who Jesus is. So let's make them doctrinal. And then it was liturgical, meaning that was what they used in worship. We say the Nicene Creed... Uh, on communion Sundays, the Nicene Creed was usually right after the gospel reading because it was a way for the church to respond to the gospel. They would hear the gospel and they would say, well, now what do you believe? People would stand up and they would go into the creed. And so that's what the creeds are. They're foundational. They're foundational of what we believe. They're foundational of what we believe here at Christ Church as well. 
you know, we say the, uh, there's a, we say two creeds. The Apostles' Creed we'll say regularly, and we say the Nicene Creed usually at communion Sundays. But uh, in, in fact, in the history of the church, there's actually three creeds. It's actually three creeds. The first one we just mentioned was the Apostles' Creed. Okay? Apostles' Creed, actually, they think is one of the oldest creeds. It goes back to the second century. The second century. So what we're saying on Sunday mornings has been said for thousands of years. It was, really came out of what they call the Old Roman Creed. And they developed it, and after a while, it became the this, this standard, the Apostles' Creed. And churches have been u- using it as a rule of faith for thousands of years. Then there's the Nicene Creed, as we mentioned. Nicene Creed is a little bit longer. The Nicene Creed really developed in the, like the third century, when there's all kinds of issues on heresy, on uh, different, um, different beliefs about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit. And so they said, you know what, we really need a creed to be able to, to refute that. So it became doctrinal. There's a third creed that we don't uh, use here uh, at Christ Church. Some churches don't recognize it. It's called the Athanasian Creed. Uh, the Athanasian Creed is, is much, much longer. And it's really complex. And they used it for clergy. They would want to make sure clergy understood stuff. And so they would make sure that the clergy understood it. So it was this long, in-depth creed. It also had closing and opening statements. It said at the beginning of the creed, This is the faith, and unless you believe it, you will not be saved. So we are looking at the Apostles' Creed uh, here. Uh, you know, if we're going to get through this creed in a few weeks. Uh, if we did the Nicene Creed, looked at that, uh, probably take us till November. If we ever uh, do the Athanasian Creed, it probably take us about five years. So I thought, wouldn't it be great to get through a creed before Jesus comes back? So that's why we're uh, that's why we're looking at the Apostles' Creed uh, over the next uh, few weeks. But it's really a foundational. Why do I tell you this? Some of you go, it's history. I really don't care about history. What you need to understand is this isn't something we just made up. This isn't something that it's just a statement we make. What we say in the creeds, the words that we say, every single phrase, every single word has been mauled over, has been pulled out of Scripture to say, this is what we believe. And those words are foundational. It's foundational. Now you may say, well, where do they come about? They came about because of all these different reasons. It wasn't like in the scriptures that the, 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 the disciples all got together and they each said one line and they put it together. It wasn't like that. It's baptismal, it's instructional, it's doctrinal. They were developing the statement so you could say, I believe. That's what John was here last week. If he, you remember, he was talking about the creed. The word credo really means, I believe, to believe. What do you believe? And so that's what we're going to talk about here. The very first phrase is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You know, if you have your Bibles, again, Robbie just read it, Acts 17. You know, Paul's really getting frustrated. He's getting up and saying, he's walking around, he's looking at their objects of worship, and he finds this altar with the inscription that says, uh, to an unknown God. And he says, you're very ignorant of the things you worship. And so we have to understand, who is God? Who are we worshiping? I uh, happen to uh, be with, I don't know how I run into the people I run into, but... Uh, I happened to be uh, with a, a friend of mine. We were ministering together a few weeks back, and he introduced me to a lifelong friend of his. And uh, I remember introducing myself, Jared, and, and then he said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm the senior pastor at Christ Church. And he goes, oh, you must believe in God then. <laughs> I was like, yep. <laughs> I mean, I know, I, yeah, I do, absolutely. Uh, that's why I don't always introduce myself, because people look at me as, you know, like a pastor. It's like, oh, you have all these different beliefs. He said, you must believe in God then. I said, yeah, I do. He said, well, my God uh, is a little G. Your God's the big G. It really doesn't matter, though, is what he said. He said, 
eh, different people believe in different gods. It's kind of all the same God, whether you believe in God or not believe in God, whether he's there or not, whatever. Kind of whatever. I said, well, it's not really whatever. Because <laughs> my God is different than the little G-God. My God is the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. It's foundational. Just those phrases, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, means so much. And when we say the creeds like that, when we say that phrase, God, the Father Almighty, it reminds us of four things. It reminds us that God is the Trinity. Secondly, that we're accountable to him. Third, it reminds us there's a relationship based on grace. And fourthly, that God is sovereign and all-powerful. When we say that line, God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that's what we're reminded of. That's what you're saying. He's Trinity. We're accountable to him. It's a relationship based on grace. God is sovereign and all-powerful. When we say the creed, God the Father, first, it reminds us that God is the Trinity. God is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Holy Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus made that claim. They were always looking for ways to to kill Jesus. And so, uh, one of the things it says in in John 5.18, it says, For this reason they tried all the more to kill him, Jesus, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but because he was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. If if it's God the Father, then there's got to be the Son. There's got to be, if there's an eternal God, the Father, there's got to be an eternal Son. It would be tragic if the creed simply said, God, uh, I believe in God, the creator of heaven and earth. It would be tragic if we skipped over the Father Almighty. Tragic. Because that's what really differentiates us from all other belief systems out there. I mentioned this before in a number of, uh, uh, number of weeks back. You know, the Muslim community know who Jesus Christ is. They actually believe he was born of a virgin. They believe he was a prophet. They just don't believe he died on the cross. The Jewish community knows who Jesus Christ is. They just don't believe he was the son of God. When we say God the Father, we're saying God the Father, God the Son. It reminds us of the Trinity. Because it sets us apart. I was, uh, my wife and I, uh, Deb, were at a dinner many, many years ago. It's probably 10, 12 years ago at this point. Uh, with a family in our church. And uh, we were having dinner there, and I remember there was a knock at the door, and the husband left to go uh, talk to whoever was at the door, and he's gone for like 45 minutes. And so finally I went over to kind of see what was going on, he was walking away, he said it was a Jehovah's Witness came to his door. And he said, man, Jared, they, they believe everything that we believe. I don't, I don't see any difference. I don't see any difference. They believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. They believe he died on the cross. I said, they believe that, but they don't believe in the Trinity. They believe that Jesus is less than God. That's the difference. It sets it apart. When we say God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, we're reminded of the Trinity. That's what sets it apart. Secondly, when we we say the creed, we speak of God the Father, it also reminds us that he is the creator and we are accountable to him. Now, why is that important? Some people would say, well, you know what? God created the world, and he's not involved in it. He created the world. He'll say he's the, he created the heavens and the earth, but he kind of hands off. And whatever happens, happens. That's deism. Okay? That's, the, that's the theology of deism, that God's not involved. One thing powerful about this, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, reminds us that he is involved. Psalm 100 says, know ye that the Lord, he is God, that he hath made us, not we ourselves, we are what? His people. The sheep of his pasture. He comes after us. He's involved here. 
For God so loved the world, what? That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. When you say the creeds, God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, do you know that? Do you believe that? You see, it's actually very scary to think about. If you don't know and love the Lord as your personal Savior, when you're saying the creed, it's very scary because you're reminded that you're accountable. But if you don't believe in God through Jesus Christ who came and died for you because of your sin, it's very scary. It's very scary because we're reminded that we're accountable to him. We're reminded that we're accountable to him. But what's powerful is that not only are, are we accountable, but he loves us and comes after us. He loves us and comes after us. So we can have a relationship with him. That's why when we speak of the creeds, it reminds us of his grace relationship through Jesus Christ. That's what it reminds us of. That's what it reminds us. It's a grace relationship. Look at what the the passage says in Acts 17. It says, for God did this so that we would seek him, verse 27, and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. We're accountable to him. We're, we're the sheep. He's the shepherd. And in John 1, 12, it says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you know that, church? Do you know that when we say, I believe in God, the Father, mighty creator of heaven and earth, we're reminded that he has a relationship with us. He sent his son to die in our place. And those of us that know and love and trust him as our Lord and Savior, we can have a relationship with him. Then we become, can be called the children of God. It's exciting. It's really exciting. So we understand that God isn't just Trinity. God, we understand that God isn't just the creational father, that he's the redemptive father. And here's the, the last one. And maybe this will hit home for more of you today. When we speak of the creeds of God the Father, Creator, Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, we're also reminded of God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. Romans 8.28, we know that in Him all things work for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God's sovereign. That's exciting. That gives us so much hope in the world that we live in. That no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in our own lives, that God is sovereign. What does that look like? Somebody said, what does that look like? How is that supposed to apply to me? What does God's sovereignty mean for me in my life, in my day-to-day activities, in the decisions I make? We have to understand when it talks about God's sovereignty, you have to understand it means he, he never contradicts himself. He's always loving, always caring. He's not random. He's not unjust. He's not going to contradict himself. He's not going to tell you one thing in the scriptures and then lead you another way. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, this really happened. Somebody asked me the last service, it really happened. It really happened. Um, I, some of you know that when the first time I met my wife, Deb, I really felt like I was supposed to marry her. I, I didn't know where I just felt like I was supposed to marry her. And by God's grace, we're married. So, well, praise God. Uh, so, and I, I shared that with a, a, a friend of mine acquaintance of mine and uh he years later said (laughs) he said uh jared i think god told me who i was supposed to marry i I think i know i'm supposed to marry so that's great where is she well she lives in florida i said "Hmm, okay uh are you going to go tell her that you're supposed to marry her goes well 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down there. I'm going to you know, get down there and tell her. It's a little more complicated than that because um, she's married. <laughs> I thought, all right, hold on there, buckaroo. <laughs> um, before you get on the crazy train uh, express down to Florida, let me talk to you a second. I said, there's no way, there's no way God's calling you into that. He said, why? I said, he's not going to tell you one thing and then tell you something else in the scriptures. Why? What's it say in the scriptures? And I brought up the scripture, what God has put together, let no man separate. He still wasn't getting it. I was like, God has put them together. You're that man. Okay? I said, God's not going to call you to do something contrary to his word. That's what God's sovereignty looks like. Now, you may say, well, that's an extreme example. Let me give you a little bit more closer to home example. Maybe some of you saying, you know what? If God would only have given me a certain amount of wealth, I wouldn't have to covet somebody else's things. Have you ever said that? Or what about this? What about, you know, if God, if you would have only uh, uh, brought me uh, a spouse that loves me for who I am, I wouldn't be in the situation where I need to go find love somewhere else. Have you ever said that? Or, hey God, if, if you didn't put this person in my life... Uh, that angers me so much, I wouldn't have all this hatred build up. Or, God, you know, if, um, if you didn't have this, put this sickness in my life, I wouldn't be so bitter. That's God's sovereignty. He's not going to, he's not going to be random. He's not going to call you to do something in Scripture, live a certain way, have certain beliefs, have a certain attitude, and then lead you another way. That's what God's sovereignty is really makes it clear then what actions and attitudes we are to have. It reminds us that maybe we don't know why, why we're in the situation we're in, but God's in control. That's what we can be reminded of. But it doesn't make us robots either. We're not just like on a string somewhere, God controlling us in every action. We have the ability to make decisions. But we understand God's in control. God's sovereignty also reminds us that he's not undermined by the problems of evil in this world. He's not undermined by the problems of evil in this world. I'm sure many of you heard the news this morning. If you didn't, you'll hear it when you get home about another tragedy, another shooting, another major shooting in Florida. I woke up to that this morning. I thought, oh, here we go again. And some people go, that's it. I knew it. The world's just falling on its own axis. It's just chaos out there. Chaos. God must not be in control because how could these bad things happen? I don't know why bad things happen, but I do know that God's got a plan. I do know what it says in scriptures that he's warring against and will triumph over evil in the world. Instead of blaming God for, hey, look at all the tragedies going on. Look at all the people that are dying. Look at all the tragedies in this world. You go, you know what, God, I don't know why things are happening the way they do, but I do know that you're in control and I trust that. Because you're the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. You're the one, as Paul says, for in him we live and move and have our being. You're the one that sustains us. So instead of looking at the problems, I'm going to look at what you're, what you're behind the scenes, what you're doing. And that's really what gives us hope in this world, isn't it? That's what gives us the hope. So like Thomas Fuller used to say, hope is the one thing that keeps mankind in motion. That's what gives us hope, that he's in control. One thing I've learned out of all my years of schooling and education is that there is a God and I'm not him. Bottom line. I don't understand why things happen the way they do. I don't understand why the tragedy happened in Florida last night. I don't understand it. I don't know. But I do know that God's in control. 
And I trust that. I trust that. Do you trust that? Do you trust that? Do you trust about what it says in Jeremiah 30 where it says, The Lord shall not turn his back until he has executed and accomplished the thoughts and intentions of his mind. Do you believe what it says in Romans verse 8 that we know in all things that God works for the good of those who love him? Do you believe that? Do you believe it when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that he's sovereign, that he's in control? Do you believe that? Do you look at yourself and wonder, what's going on? Or do you, do you say, you know what, God's going to use this for a purpose. God's going to use the issue that I'm in, the financial crisis I'm in, the marriage that I'm in. He's going to use it. For his glory. To advance his kingdom. Paul must have been thinking that when he was in jail. He wasn't down going, that's it. Life's over. No, he was constantly singing. Constantly praising God. Because he knew his life wasn't over. God was going to use it for his glory. Joseph did the same thing when he was in jail. Daniel said the same thing in front of the lions. Do you believe that? That's where the hope is, church. That's where the hope is. That's what gives us such hope in this life. Such hope. I, uh, I was talking to a couple a while back who was uh, going through a lot of stuff uh, medically. Nothing, nothing major between them. They just both had major medical things throughout their life. A lot of issues, a lot of uh, disease and, and bodily things happening to both of them all throughout their life. It was amazing how God brought them together because they had spent many years in the hospital and testing all throughout their childhood, different diseases and different medications. And... Uh, and I remember, you know, they got married and they, people kept telling them, don't have children. Don't get pregnant. Don't have children. Because there's a good chance those diseases you have are hereditary and your child will have both of those things that you have in one body. So don't have children. Well, they got pregnant. And they said, well, what do we do? We know this, God's given us this gift, this child. What do we do? We've been through so much in our life. I... It would be scary to think of this child coming into the world. And I reminded them, I said, you know, God gave you, God brought you together. God gave you this child. But boy, God has really prepared you for whatever this child's going to have. If he has any kind of diseases, I couldn't think of anybody better than the two of you to raise that child. Because you've been through it already. You've been through all the trials. You've been through all the testing. You've been through all the trials and pain of all these medications and diseases. I said, I could not think of anybody better than the two of you to raise this child. I said, the trials that you went through, that God brought you through, he's going to use with this child. Because you're better off. So praise God for that child. And praise God for the two of you. And praise God that you've been through all that pain and trial of uh, issues in your own life. That you can raise that baby. That's hope. That's sovereignty. Do you believe that, church? That whatever you're going through, whatever it is you got going on, you know God's in control. And he's going to use it for his glory and his kingdom. As the band comes, we're going to close our last song. What we're going to do throughout this series is, as we said, we're going to have the creeds. It may not be exactly where we have it in the service we're used to. We're going to say it at the end of the sermon. Because I want you to be able to say with full confidence and assurance what we're about to say. But I believe. What do you believe? What do we believe here at the church? You know, one of the great things I remember about catechism as a child. 
is the, one of the questions was, what is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in life and death was the question. And the answer was this. My only comfort in life and death is that I, with body and soul, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for my sins and delivered me from the power of the devil so that preserves me that apart from the will of his Father in heaven, not a hair of my head can fall. Not a hair on your head can fall. You know that God is sovereign. And that's what we say when we say, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. So let me ask you to stand as we close our service here and as we prepare to sing our last song. It's really great to be able to come with a body of believers for a thousand some years and say the same thing that they've been saying. Believe the same thing that that they believe and can be able to act on the same thing that they've been able to act on for all these years. It's not a Christ church thing. It's not a uh, Anglican thing. It's an orthodox thing. What we really believe. So my question to you this morning is what do you believe, Christ Church? And we say together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Believe it, church. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you for what you teach us in your word, Father. Thank you that we can have these creeds that really come out of the scriptures that we can say with full confidence and assurance. Father, we thank you that you're the Father Almighty, that you love us, you care for us so much that you gave your own son to die in our place, that you come after us. And Father, we thank you that you're sovereign. We can trust in that. We can hope in that. That no matter what's going on in the world around us, Father, that we look for those things uh, that you're going to use to advance your kingdom. So Father, be with us as we go through these trials. Be with us as we go through this life. Father, help us to remember that you are in control. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.